Um, my name is Brock Falk. I'm, I'm part of the ministry staff here, and it is my joy to be able to spend the next few minutes with you. And I'm thrilled that you're here participating, whether you're here in the room or tuning in online, participating with us as we explore the movements and the milestones that make up a lifetime journey with God. Amazingly, summertime is upon us. Most of our school-aged kids have either wrapped up their school year or they're wrapping it up this next week, which means a couple of things. Number one, it means that this is the time of year right now for those of you who have children in second grade all the way up through finishing high school, it's time for you to be signing your kids up for the summer camps that are being offered through our children's ministry and student ministry here at Heritage. I need to tell you, as somebody who dedicated a long time working with students students in ministry specifically, it's hard to overstate the spiritual and the relational value that the trips together, that spiritual experience of camp together could bring for your students, even if they've never been on one of those trips before. But the other thing that summer's arrival means is that lots of families, including here in our church, are planning their own summer travel, their own summer vacations together. Experts are predicting that this could be the busiest travel season ever recorded and whether your family is going to visit grandparents or going to the Grand Canyon or going to Grand Cayman, there's a lot of work that goes into prep preparation and getting ready for the trip that you're going to make. Now, I know some of you like to get real specific in the planning. And I want to tell you, if you're the kind of travel planner whose process includes spreadsheets and deal shopping and restaurant research ahead of time, you are my people. Like, I love that. I think that's awesome. I think there's some of you other, like, silly folks out there who are just comfortable just showing up and figuring things out when you get there, you know? Like, you remember when, you know, decades ago, you'd be traveling, and you didn't ever look on Hotels.com or something. You just drove into town and looked for a no-vacancy sign or a vacancy sign. Like, things have changed, but even the most carefree travelers have to figure out some of the basic details before they leave on their trip. And this morning, what I'm hoping to get you to do is to think about the spiritual journey, the lifelong trip that you're on with God, and to think about some of the details ahead of time. I believe everybody is on a spiritual journey, whether you realize it or not, whether that's what you call it or not. Everybody is on a spiritual journey where they're coming to understand the spiritual side of their existence. And if you're tuning into a church service or here listening to the sermon, somebody may have dragged you, forced you into this. Somebody may have bribed you with lunch to get you to show up here. But the chances are that if you're here on your own accord, it's because you're interested in what's next on your spiritual journey. Like you'd like to figure out some of the details about what God has in store for you. And you can't possibly plan all the details. You can't put every step of your spiritual journey onto a spreadsheet. You can't put it onto a list. There's way too much that's unknown about your future for you to be able to jot it all down and plan on all of it occurring. But what you can do ahead of time, for those of you who love to plan especially, what you can do ahead of time is you can pay attention to the journeys of people who have traveled this road before you. 
You can pay attention to the stories and the experiences of the people who have walked an entire lifetime of discipleship with God and see what are the things that they all experienced. You can familiarize yourself with God's plan for his disciples. And when you start to become familiar with some of the big phases of the journey, then you can start preparing your own heart for what's next, which is what we're trying to do together in this series. Today's the final message in our short One Small Step series. And I titled it this way, gave it this space theme, because every Everybody who's walking with God is taking a series of one small step after another. That's what the journey of faith with God is like. And a couple of weeks ago, we reminded each other of that famous quote from Neil Armstrong, landing on the moon, one small step for man. But this is what the spiritual journey is like. It's about continuing to move forward. It's about leaning ahead. It's about momentum. In fact, one pastor wrote, the Christian life is a lot like riding a bicycle because you're either moving forward or you're falling off. One of the two, right? Like it's about momentum and continuing forward progress. And so the question that I want us to be wrestling with for ourselves, the question that I hope you're already asking for yourself is, how do I move forward from where I'm standing right now? How do I move forward with God? What's the next step with God look like in my unique, personalized spiritual journey. And so two weeks ago in week one of the series, we talked about making that first small step, making a decision to follow Jesus. We said that every spiritual journey begins with becoming aware of God's grace, becoming aware of God's invitation, and then responding to that with a commitment, a commitment that says, okay, God, I'm going with you. Like, that's the small step. Okay, God, I am following where you lead. And that can be a first-time small step, or maybe it's a, rep a repetition, a, a making that small step again and saying, God, I, I'm coming with you. But for everybody, there's a series of commitment steps that are involved in the spiritual journey. And for some of you, making that first step. Making that first commitment to the journey, that may be the next step that your spiritual walk requires. But then last week, we talked about another step. Last week, we talked about the community of support that God provides for us because God doesn't intend for anybody to go on this journey by themselves. God never designed the spiritual walk to be traveled alone. And so God creates a family. God creates a community. God creates the church where we can connect with others who are on a journey like ours. But more importantly, it's a place where we can practice using the spiritual gifts that God has given us, the gifts of patience, the gifts of gentleness and kindness and self-control. God gives us a community where we can use our spiritual gifts and grow in faith together. And for some of you, for some of us, that may be the next step, earnestly committing to community, earnestly deciding, I'm, gonna, I'm really going to dive in. I'm going to share my life with other people in the church who can help me grow, who can help me mature, and who can give me an opportunity to share what God has given with me 
to them too. That may be the next step that you need to take. But today, we're talking about another season of faith, another phase on the journey, and this step requires spiritual endurance. It requires perseverance, and we're going to find some helpful guidance and encouragement together in the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 12. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can join us there. You can do that through the Heritage app if you like, or through your Bible app on your phone, but we'll put these verses up here on the screen as well. But what you need to know is that when you open up your Bible to the book of Hebrews, you're looking at one of the most unique books in the entire catalog, the entire library of all of the Christian scriptures. Hebrews is one of the most vivid books. It's full of so much imagery, so many lofty concepts. That, and, and what's interesting is we don't even know who wrote this. We have no idea who the author of Hebrews was. Most of the books in our Bible, the author signed it and said, this is Paul, this is Peter, writing, you know, but this one we don't know. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but what it, what it is, it's, it reads like an extended sermon, okay? If you were to look at the entirety of Hebrews, you would think, boy, I'm glad Brock doesn't preach quite that long every Sunday. It's a long sermon, okay? Lots of chapters, but it talks about God's great, big, comprehensive plan for creation. I mean, it looks at a cosmic level of everything that God is doing to engage humanity, and it talks about how Christ offers salvation to the entire world. But then to the, towards the end of the book, the writer of Hebrews, whoever that person was, was, makes a shift, and they start to talk about what does it look like for humans to respond to God's big plan? What does it look like for a human to faithfully accept God's invitation and to live that life? And it includes some powerful examples. In fact, if you were to turn back one page in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11, you would find one of the most incredible chapters in the entire Bible. Some people called the Hebrews chapter 11 the great hall of faith because it tells stories of individuals and groups of people who faithfully followed God throughout their life and set an example for everybody else. Some of the stories might sound familiar. If you were to read through that chapter, you would find some stories of familiar church names like Abraham and Moses and Noah. You would find stories that are recorded in greater detail in the Old Testament, and you would get to just hear kind of a synopsis of some of what those people went through. But then there are other stories in Hebrews chapter 11 that this is the only place we find them. Like, this is the only place we find this story. And the early believers, they would have been passing those stories down just generation to generation by word of mouth. They're telling these stories like legends of the faith, okay? They're saying, boy, the story of this person, the story of these people, it's so inspiring. And they would tell stories about people who were so committed to their faith that when, when they were threatened with being killed, they decided that they were going to stay true to what God had called them to do. They would tell stories about people who lived in constant danger because of their faith. People that God challenged to do amazing or really difficult things, and they did it because they believed that God was in it. Chapter 11 tells the stories of people who encountered tough trials in their faith, went through hard times on their spiritual walk. But through it all, and no matter what they were up against, 
they trusted that God was faithful and that God would not forget them. So that's what chapter 11 is full of. Like it's story after story after story of people who stayed the course. And then the writer of Hebrews makes a, a transition, makes a turn here, because the writer of Hebrews believes that these moving stories about these giants in the faith, they can help you and they can help me. These stories can provide inspiration for those of us who are still living out our own spiritual journey. And so our passage for today starts in chapter 12, verse 1, where the author's making this turn from talking about those ancient stories to talking about our story, talking about your story and my story. And here's what verse 1 says. It says, therefore, because of all of those examples in chapter 11, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Okay, talking about the people in those old stories. Since we're surrounded by this huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now, I want you to hear this imagery and notice what's going on here is that the writer is comparing the Christian life to a race, a foot race, and he's comparing us to runners. Now, I know there's a few of you that that's going to make you laugh a little bit, right? I can tell you how many runners we have up here on the stage right now. It's less than one. Um, but in this image, the writer of Hebrews is trying to give us a vision of what the walk with God or the journey with God looks like. And this is not the first time that this comparison has been made in the Scripture. In fact, fact the Apostle Paul, in three or four other places in the Scripture, made a similar comparison. 1 Corinthians 9, he says that we should run the race and keep our eyes on the finish line. In Philippians chapter 3, he says we should run as people who are running to try to win first place, trying to win the prize at the end. But what's different about this reference, and we don't know who wrote this. I don't think it was Paul, but we don't know. The, what's different about Hebrews chapter 12 is that it emphasizes the distance. It emphasizes the length of this particular race. This spring, I got a chance to go and watch as my 14-year-old son participated in his first ever track and field season. And I need to actually, I've got a bone to pick with some of you parents who are a little bit older than me. You didn't warn me about the length of these track meets. I mean, goodness gracious, we were there for hours and hours and hours. But we got the full experience of watching him participate with the track team. And we sat there for all of these hours waiting on his events to come around. And it was fascinating to watch all of these different athletes and the difference between their strategy and their approach based on their event, right? I mean, you understand that at a track meet, there's all the field events going on, the shot put and the high jump and the long jump and the pole vault and all of that kind of stuff. But then on the track, there's, there's these short distance races, the 100 meter and the 200 meter, and everybody is just sprinting, running as fast as they possibly can. And then there's races that are medium distance events, the 800 meter, and there's races that have relay teams and everybody takes a turn carrying the baton. And there's races 
places that have hurdles that you have to jump over. But then when it comes time for the longer distance races, it's a totally different approach. It's a totally different strategy. The athletes who run that 100-meter dash, they have to train for their race and attack the race completely differently than the athletes who are running the 2400. The 2400-meter endurance is the name of the game. And that's what this writer in Hebrews is talking about. This writer's trying to tell you, listen, this Christian journey with God, this faith life with God, it's an endurance race. You've heard the phrase, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? This is going to take some time. This is going to take pacing. This is going to challenge you in ways that a sprint doesn't, which means that this life, this journey is going to push you through stages of fatigue and discouragement. Can I get an amen from anybody in the crowd this morning? Anybody who has experienced any fatigue and discouragement on your spiritual walk? Maybe I'm talking to the wrong people. There's one person over here. Maybe I'll just talk to the camera. Okay, those of you who are online, too, too fatigued to get here this morning, or I don't know. But this journey is going to be long. And it's going to take you through some hard times. It's going to take you past some hurdles. It's going to take you past some obstacles and some distractions. That's what it's going to take to finish this race. Now, I know some of you have run some distance races before. There's a few of you in the room who have had that experience where you trained yourself and you did a 5K or a 10K or a half marathon or a marathon, and you know you're intimately familiar with the focus and the determination that's required when you've challenged yourself to run a race like that. You know that there's going to be a moment, there are moments in those longer races when you start feeling weak and you start feeling winded and you start feeling dehydrated and you might seriously consider giving up and going home, right? Like nobody's making you run this thing. You, you signed up for this yourself. You can still get the free pancakes at the end, you know? Like you don't have to finish. But you also know you also know that when you're training for an event like that, part of your training involves deciding how you'll handle it when you hit that moment of fatigue, right? Part of your training involves deciding how you're going to respond physically, mentally, emotionally, how you're going, Say, to, how you're going to react and how you're going to overcome when you're in that spot in the race where you are not sure you have enough energy to go on, when you've hit the wall of fatigue. And so when you're practicing, when you're in practice, you formulate a plan for how you're going to push through the wall when you get to it. The writer of Hebrews is not asking any of us to actually run, and we can be thankful for that. But the writer is urging us to do this. The writer is urging us to decide now, to decide now for ourselves, I'm going to finish this race. This is the encouragement that the writer of Hebrews has given us. It's saying, today, whether you're in that spot where you've taken one small step of commitment, 
or you have taken two small steps and you've joined into community, or you've been at this journey for quite some time and you've taken a series of small steps, the writer of Hebrews is saying, I want you to decide right now, maybe before you hit the wall, or maybe as you're hitting the wall right now, I want you to decide for yourself, I'm finishing this race. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop traveling with God. I'm not going to give up. And in fact, in this first verse, the writer already mentioned two strategies that could help us to accomplish that goal. First, the writer says, we can take encouragement and inspiration from that pr those previous generations of runners who are now cheering us on. He talked about the great crowd of witnesses to the faith, or maybe your translation says a great cloud of witnesses that are actually, it's almost like this ethereal idea of all of these believers who have gone before, who are rooting for us. Whoever wrote Hebrews was thinking about the long storied history of the people of faith who stuck with God through thick and thin. And don't you know don't you know there were some moments in the stories of the people who have gone before when they weren't sure that they were going to finish the race? Don't you know there were some moments of discouragement? There were some moments when they felt like what God was asking them to do or what they were going through on account of their faith was going to be too much, that they wouldn't have enough to get through, enough energy, enough motivation, enough desire, enough faith to get through that moment. Surely there were times when the people that have gone before us with God thought this climb is too steep. But they didn't give up. And they kept moving forward, and maybe not always at a fast clip, maybe not always running, maybe not always walking, maybe not always standing up. Maybe they were crawling toward the finish line, but they kept on following God to the finish. And now their stories serve as an inspiration and an example for us to follow. The Hebrew writer says all those previous generations of believers, they're cheering for you. They're rooting for you. They're pulling for you. Can you see Moses? He's got his chest painted like with your initials on it. You know, like these people are eager to see you continue to finish the race. Abraham's holding up a poster with your name on it. The writer of Hebrews says they want you to finish the race just like they did. And verse 1 mentions another strategy. Another strategy for reaching our goal, it says we should strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Now you can imagine, you can visualize in your mind's eye how foolish it would look for a runner to carry a bunch of stuff that they don't need into the race, right? Once in a while you'll see a story on the news about somebody who's running a 10K or a marathon and they're trying to honor some other group of people in their life. They're honoring POWs or something and maybe they run the race with a big rucksack on their back. They run with a big backpack because they're trying to demonstrate some loyalty and some honor to somebody else, but you know the reason that shows up on the news is because that's a lot harder way to run, right? That's a lot more challenging. That's not the, that's not the way to run if you want to if, if, if be able to endure easily to the finish. And so the writer of Hebrews says, it would be foolish to travel in this journey with God while you're trying to hold on to the trappings of your old life. 
It would be foolish to try to bring all of your old identity with you. And so the writer says, whatever you're carrying that might make it harder, whatever you're carrying with you that might get in the way of your faithfulness, whatever you're holding on to that distracts you from the finish line, let that stuff go. Put it down, drop it, and keep moving forward. If it's something that might keep you from completing the course, it's not worth bringing with you. And I love this imagery. I love this wisdom. Because when we were trying to get my son ready for his track and field season, we, his parents, as well as the coach and the school, we all worked together to try to make sure that these athletes could have as much success as possible. And so that the school got them these uniforms, but it wasn't big baggy pants and big, big clunky and, and sh you know, shirts that was going to you know, catch a lot of wind as they were running. They got them sleek uniforms. And we got them shoes, and we made sure every time before he was going to race, buddy, did you double tie your shoes. We don't want you running out there with your shoelaces coming undone. And we, t and we pointed up into the stands and I said, hey buddy, you see where mom's sitting right up there? We're going to be right there cheering for you. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about being prepared for the race and knowing that there's a cheering section that is rooting for you to be successful. I love this wisdom and our verse 1, this passage is reminding us of all the preparation and the cheering section that's in our favor. But the real key to successful endurance, the real key to being able to persevere in this life of faith comes up in the next verse, verse 2. Hebrews 12, 2 says, We do this, we run, we run with endurance, by keeping our eyes on Jesus. This is the key. We keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And then he tells, he or she, I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews tells some of Jesus' story in a sentence or two. Because of the joy that was awaiting Jesus, Jesus endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And I want you to hear that the Hebrew writer is reminding us Jesus ran this race too. Jesus had an earthly human experience of having to live a lifetime and choosing to be obedient to God the Father for the whole distance. And it wasn't easy. There were hurdles. There were obstacles. There were challenges. There were distractions. There were opportunities to quit. Jesus himself hit the wall and had to decide if he was going to continue to move forward. You know, a minute ago, this isn't in my notes, but a minute ago we were singing this song together. It's called, Yes, I Will. And the song says, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. And I felt, I felt a weight as we were singing that song together because I was looking around the room and thinking about some of your stories. And I was thinking about some of the stuff that I know you're going through right now. About the kind of heaviness that's weighing down on your soul. About the physical pain that some of you 
are experiencing that just doesn't seem to want to go away. I'm thinking about some of the grief that you're carrying and walking through. I'm thinking about some of the family tension and the struggle that you're feeling and that you, you, can't, you can't quit thinking about that and like turn that off to just you know check into church service. Like it's with you. And here we are singing this song. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. Those are the words of somebody that's deciding I'm not going to quit. I'm going to run this race with endurance. I'm going to continue chasing the story that God is writing in my life, even though it's hard, even though I'm scared, even though I'm hurt. Those are the words of somebody that's saying, I'm choosing that I'm going to finish this race. And the writer says the way to do it, the way it works, the only way it's going to happen is if you keep your eyes, your attention, your focus pointed on Jesus. The writer says, Jesus has been there. Jesus ran this race too. Jesus went through similar experience to yours. Jesus hit the wall. Jesus had to decide, do I trust God to carry me through the next small step and the step after that? Jesus ran this race too. And the writer says, it's Jesus who has called you to this race. It's Jesus who has equipped you for this race. It's Jesus who's given you strength. It's Jesus who has gone before you and has shown you the way to run. It's Jesus who's going to be the one standing at the finish line with arms wide open and saying, I knew you could do it. It's Jesus who's going to catch you. And so the Hebrew writer says, try to tune out the distractions. Try to tune out the noise and the difficulties and the dangers and the detractors and the detours. Try to tune out all of that other stuff and you keep your focus on Jesus the whole time because that's how you finish this race with endurance. And then the next verse elaborates on that. Chapter 12, verse 3 says, Think of all of the hostility that Jesus endured from sinful people. Think about what he went through. Think, I mean, it's easy to start, to, to begin with, to think about the physical pain that he endured. And that's, that's traumatic enough. But Jesus went through more than that. When you think about the betrayal that Jesus experienced from the people who were closest to him, that old song we used to sing said, He died alone for you and me, right? You think about what he went through. You think about the disappointment, about the dishonor, about the dishonesty that was hurled in his direction. The writer says, think of all of the hostility that Jesus endured from sinful people. And when you think about that, when you keep your eyes on Jesus, when you remember that Jesus' story ended in resurrection, then the writer says, then you won't become weary 
and you won't give up because you'll believe that can be your story too. You'll believe that the people who are obedient to God to the end, who trust God to the end, their story ends in restoration, resurrection, newness, and healing. And so the writer says, let Jesus' example be an inspiration to you. Because when you think about everything that Jesus went through, all the opposition that he faced, it'll make it possible for you to run. It'll strengthen your resolve to make it to the finish, to run to the very end. And so here's this writer of Hebrews, this unknown person. I wonder what their story was like. I wonder what kind of obstacles and hurdles and discouragements they ran into in their spiritual life. I wish I know. I wish I knew who, who wrote this book. But I know that after thinking about all of the grandness of God's plan and story, after thinking about all of the spiritual history and all of the history of God's engagement, with people, I know that this Hebrew writer wants one thing for you and for me, and that's for you and me to pers persevere to the end, to continue on this spiritual journey. We've talked about these next steps the whole way through. Initially, we talked about making a commitment step that says, okay, I'm committing myself. I'm going where God wants me to go. And then we talked about a second step of community, of participating in community with one another. And the third step today, after commitment and community, the third step is carry on. That God's calling you in your spiritual life to carry on to the finish. And it's not about how fast you travel. It's not about what a great runner you are. It's not about how many steps you take per mile. It's not about your running form. In fact, it's not about how many times you fall down. You keep falling down. There's an old song I used to hear on Christian radio when I was a teenager that says, we fall down, we get up. We fall down, we get up. We fall down, and we get up. And the saints are just the sinners who fall down and then get up. That's what our calling is. And the Hebrew writer says, the authenticity of your faith is proven by the way you carry on until the end of the race. That if those first steps toward God took you anywhere, it's going to be toward perseverance. It's going to be toward endurance. It's going to be toward the finish line. You know, I look around the, the room in the church family here, and I think about all the different generations of believers that are represented here. I see some stories in this room of people that I, I know your story well enough to know that your family raised you to be somebody who followed Jesus, and this has been part of your life vision as long as you can remember. And the parents and the grandparents and the great-grandparents before them, they all helped to raise you to know who Jesus was and encouraged you and set you off on this journey. And then there's some of you that you're the first one. You're the first one in your family, yet God puts you in this community of people who are running the race with you. I think about all the different generations of people. There are some who have been striving for the finish line for a long time in this church family, and then there are some who are just on the cusp of taking that very first step of commitment and saying, I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to follow where God 
leads. I think about the transitions that are going on for some generations in our church. I look out there at that table in the, in the lobby out there with all of our graduating seniors, and I think about all of the transitions that are about to happen in their life as they enter into a new phase and as they start running into different obstacles and different challenges to their faith. And I know that there's going to be moments when their faith hits the wall and they think to themselves, does all the stuff that I learned as a kid make any sense? Does this still hold water? Is this still true? There's going to be moments when they're going to have to ask themselves, am I going to finish this race or am I going to quit? And I want them to know. I want them so desperately to know that there's this family of people, this crowd of witnesses to the life of faith who are cheering for them, who have signs made with their names on it. I want them to know that there's this crowd of, of examples and stories of people who have gone before for generations and centuries of people who have walked with God, who have said, it's worth it. Don't quit. Keep going to the very end. I want them to know that the saints are cheering for them. I want them to know that Jesus is inviting them and calling them and rooting for them. I want them to know that there are others who are going to follow in their example, in their footsteps. I want you to know that on this spiritual journey, you have the privilege and the opportunity to be following people who have gone before you and people who are walking beside you, and you also have the responsibility to lead people who are walking behind you, to set an example and to cheer for the people who are coming behind you. It's this beautiful system, this beautiful process, this beautiful community of people who are saying, no matter what comes our way, we're going to keep following Jesus, we're going to stick with it to the end. But I know it's easy to give up, and it's easy to forget. And so when I think about all of those generations of believers who stuck it out, I think about Jesus on the night that the process began for him to be arrested and tried and killed. I think about that last time he got to have supper with all of his original little group of disciples. And in that moment, he knew that he was about to hit the hardest part of his race. He knew that he was entering the most difficult lap of his human walk of obedience to the Father. He knew that within the coming hours, he would be betrayed and turned over to the authorities and they would try him on trumped up charges and they would find him guilty when he hadn't done anything wrong and they would decide, they would decide to kill the giver of life and they would decide to torture him and to mock him and to beat him and to kill him. He knew he was about to walk into the hardest phase of his journey and he said, the next time y'all are together, in fact, every time y'all are together, he said, I want you to share a little meal together and remember how I finished the task. He passed around there at the table. He passed around bread and a cup of wine. And he said, whenever you eat this bread, whenever this bread touches your tongue and you recognize that familiar flavor, whenever this cup touches your lips and you taste the taste, of that fruit of the vine. He said, I want you to remember 
that when the moment came that I was up against the wall, that I was hitting the wall and, and fatigued and discouraged and scared, that I trusted the Heavenly Father for your sake. 